Erwan Saranai. So welcome everybody, warm welcome to everybody who has joined and anybody that is going to join us. So there'll be some newcomers who haven't joined us before. And of course, there'll be family members who are joining with their usual participants to this group. So warmest welcome to everybody on this Vesak day, the day that we commemorate the birth, the enlightenment and Parinibbana of Buddha, of Gautama Buddha. And we'll begin by just reflecting on a saying of the Buddha, and it's in relation to uh, this, this human birth. And what the Buddha says is, it's difficult to gain a human birth. It's difficult uh, to have the life of a, of a mortal. And it's difficult to have the opportunity to hear the true Dhamma. And it's difficult to have the arising of a Buddha in the world. And so today, like on Vesak Day, we should feel very fortunate that firstly it's an auspicious day, but secondly that we have come to the teachings of Gautama Buddha and we have this precious human birth, that we are born with the ability, unlike some other creatures, to cognize, to understand the teachings of the Buddha, to understand the Dhamma and to hear the Dhamma and then to learn how to practice what the Buddha teaches. So today we start with feeling gratitude uh, that we can come together to honour the Buddha and we honour the Buddha by listening to his words, reflecting and contemplating on what he has said to us and then rejoicing the fourfold Sangha. And in this way we develop our minds, we calm our minds and we work towards the goal of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is to realize the way out of the Dukkha. So that first verse was uh, from the Dhammapada. And there's another verse in the Dhammapada, which is also quite uh, lovely. And the Buddha says, One who takes refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, sees right wisdom, the Four Noble Truths, the first truth of suffering, the second truth of the origin of suffering, which is Panha, the cessation of suffering, and the Noble Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of suffering. So this is our safe refuge. This is our supreme refuge, if you really think about it. And so when we come to this ref- refuge, uh, we, we can be free of all suffering. So this is what we are going to do today. We're going to actually uh, activate some wisdom. And, of course, we lean initially on the Buddha's wisdom and then we practice and we develop further wisdom from that point. So today's uh, topic is why Yoniso Manasikara is essential to the Noble Eightfold Path. And Yoniso Manasikara is a, is a topic that uh, people talk about, but they don't often know that they're talking about it. So we want to shed some light on Yoniso Manasikara and look at where it sits within the Buddha's teachings. So that's what we're going to be doing today and how it supports us to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. So what we'll be covering is we'll start off with our usual tips and reminders. It's good to get all of us onto the same page and to make sure that any newcomers also feel that that welcome and also to to know that it's okay not to uh, know everything that's being said during this session. Uh, we'll continue with some words from the Buddha to, to set the tone for what we mean by Yonisomanisikara. And then we'll go about translating and defining 
what is Yonisomanisikara? What is this word? What does it mean? What does the Buddha really mean by doing Yonisomanisikara? And then we'll look at uh, the importance of developing Yonisomanisikara in Buddha's teaching themselves, because it's always good to see what the Buddha actually says about it and then how he instructs uh, to actually cultivate it. And then we'll do a deep dive. And by a deep dive into the application of it, it means we're going to do some contemplations. And it'll be a gradual process. So we trust in the Buddha's words and uh, we follow his instructions. And I think with these contemplations, we'll start off in a sort of straightforward, easy sense. But then as we go along, they'll get more deep. And so it will be a gradual process of deepening the insight into what Yonisomanisikara really is. And I think in that way, we, by the end of it, we really get an idea about uh, not just the translation and the, and the words we use for Yonisomanisikara in English, but by the end of it, we'll get a real feel for what is Ayonisomanisikara, what is the opposite of it, and what is the actual you know, application of it itself. So that, that's our aim for our, our session today. And then we'll have some time for questions and answers. So tips and reminders. The thing about coming together for a session is it's always there's different kinds of practices that we individually do and also how much we know of the Buddha's words. So I think always take things fresh. Like whatever we talk about today, listen with fresh ears, keep an open mind. Even if you're familiar with Yonisomanisikara, open up to the fact that we're exploring this in a, in a new sense and looking at various ways of understanding it better. And the other thing to say is there'll be some deep dhammas in what we go through because we can't help but do that because Buddha goes to, you know, quite an advanced level. He, he's perfectly enlightened all on his own. And even with the words of Arahants, they're, they're enlightened as well. So not everything we will be able to understand. But what we can do is to make an attempt. And then when we can't understand, maybe it's not for right now, maybe it's for later. Uh, but we can learn how to do some of the meditations. And so the third thing is to remember that we're all learners, that none of us, as far as we know, are arahants. So we're all learning. We're all uh, seeking to develop our minds in the right direction for the right path and the right liberation. And and so when we come from that perspective, then then it's easier to to listen and to follow and to attend to what the Buddha says. And during this session, we will definitely be doing meditations. We will be definitely contemplating the Buddha's words in, seek, in, in the sequence that he gives us. And so when we apply ourselves to the meditation, just give it a go. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you just try a few steps. Um, if you know how to do the meditation, then go right into it. And then also bring your own examples. That's always helpful. And I'll prompt that because... The best way for us to see the Dhamma for ourselves, which is what the Buddha says about the Dhamma, it's, it's right here that we can actually practice it and know it for ourselves. Then if we bring our own examples, it brings it closer to us to actually see the truth rather than denying it and seeing that it's out there somewhere or somewhere in the future. So 
the fact that we are here together today, it's, it's a wonderful thing, uh, particularly on Vesak. And so let's have good wishes for everyone that is here. But it's not easy to, to come to a session like this, that we have responsibilities, we have work, we have our family responsibilities, our friends, all kinds of responsibilities in our community. So it's not easy. So whoever has helped us to get to this session, whoever has helped us to, to set up Zoom, to, to get it running, uh, whoever has just encouraged to come and sit and listen, um, have very good wishes. And, you know, anyone that is able to go deeply into the mind with kindness and compassion, like the Brahma Viharas, like Metta Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, then you share that mind state with, with everyone that's on this call today and with all sentient beings who, who may be listening as well. So that's how we, that's how we will run the session. So we'll begin by looking at how we translate and define Yoniso Manisikara. Like Pali words are often easier to use because once you get a glimpse of the Pali word, and this might apply also in singular, but definitely in Pali, it's fully weighted with the meaning. It's so much easier to handle. And so when we try and translate it into English, if we get it slightly wrong, it can veer us towards a misunderstanding of how to apply it, how to use it, how to um, how important it is sometimes as well. So we'll start off with um, Buddha's words. So this is from, from the Pathama Mara Pasa Sutta. And Mara was coming to see the Buddha and telling him that he hadn't um, done certain things. He hadn't uh, fully enlightened, and, and the Buddha was saying to him, by wise contemplation, so Yoniso Manisikara, by wise right striving, Yoniso Samapadana, I have arrived at unsurpassed liberation. I have realized unsurpassed liberation. And then the Buddha says, you too, by wise contemplation, by wise right striving, must arrive at unsurpassed liberation, must realize unsurpassed liberation. So these are inspiration for us. The Buddha is saying that it's through Yoniso Manisikara and also Yoniso Samapadana that one can arrive at Nibbana and, uh, and realize Nibbana. So that's, that's our goal. So it may not be right now, but it's our goal. So we know that Buddha says Yoniso Manisikara is a very important thing, that it is something that will help us. And, and that's what we can get from his word here. The second thing that Buddha says is in another sutta, it's Padma Seka Sutta. So we're seekers, we're learners, we're trainees on the Buddha's path. The Buddha says, there is no other thing of great assistance for a mendicant who is a learner for reaching the highest goal as wise contemplation or Yonisomanisakara. Wisely striving, a mendicant attains the destruction of suffering. So again, it's this encouragement that both of those two things, and the one we're focusing on today is definitely Yonisomanisikara, this wise contemplation, because it's going to help us to reach the goal. Without it, uh, as we'll see later on, it will veer us off the right path. And so it's very important for us to understand like the gravity, the, the weight of, of this particular thing that Buddha is asking us to do. So 
What does yoniso mean? So we're going to break up each of the words. So we'll start with yoniso. So yoniso manisikara is actually derived from a word called yoni. And yoni literally means the womb, but it could also mean origin or place of birth. And so what you get from that is this idea that it's based on something due to a source, that down to its its origin, its roots, its foundation, uh, we can see the process of where things arise and see, something along those lines. So there's some kind of wisdom behind it. And that's where you get often wisely, thoroughly, properly, carefully, reasoned, methodically, judiciously, and clearly. It comes from this almost like investigation thing that you're getting to the root of things, you're getting to the wisdom component of things. That's where yoniso comes from. Ayoniso, uh, we look at usually because it helps us to see the opposite to actually see whether that fits as well. So it doesn't come from the origin. You don't go to the root or the foundation of, of, of its core, of its source. And so ayoniso literally can mean not yoniso. So in this case, it's unwisely, superficially, improperly, carelessly. I mean, all the synonyms are, the, are very similar. It's like you muddle through, you're distracted, you're, you're careless with it. You don't really get to the bottom of it. And then we have manasikara. So mano usually uh, relates to the mind and manasi is associated with the mind. So it's something mental. And then kara is usually the doing aspect, the working aspect, performing some kind of activity. So what you get to with that is you're working the mind, you're directing the mind, and it, it is definitely mental activity. So when we talk about meditation, we often think, oh, we need to still the mind. But the thing that we actually do in terms of the meditation is we develop the mind, we direct the mind in the right direction. And then only then after going through the Noble Eightfold Path do you start to achieve some sort of concentration, which is the stillness that comes from there. But initially, when people ask, what is meditation? It's really this monasikara part that you are directing the mind, you are developing the mind, you're working the mind. And, and the question is always, where are you developing it to? Well, you're definitely directing it towards kutala, to, to the wisdom aspect of it. And so the words that come out of directing the mind, working the mind, mental activity is contemplation, consideration, you think things over. You can also use attention, like attending to it, uh, pondering, de deliberating, reflecting, mental examination, ideation. I mean, all these words, what you notice about them um, is that they have a very active part to, to, to the meaning of it. It's not a passive sit back and relax or sit back and observe. It's, it's actually what we'll see as we go, go further along is that you give it ingredients from the Buddha's words and you think it over, you consider it, you contemplate it, you, you direct the mind. So that's, that's the thing about, um, what we get to when we look at these, these words. So when you put them together, what you get is something along the lines of, Working the mind, directing the mind. Uh, what you also get is um, you do it with wisdom. So you get this wise contemplation, thorough consideration, reasoned thinking, careful deliberation, methodical reflection, proper examination, careful attention. 
I mean, sometimes what you find in the suttas is you always find attention, wise attention, wise attention, careful attention, reasoned attention. Uh, my preference for this session is either to use Yonisomanisikara, the Pali word itself, or to use something like wise uh, contemplation or wise direction of the mind. And the reason for that is because it gives more emphasis on the activity that we need to do with our minds as opposed to sitting back. Because sometimes what you get when you use wise attention is it's more like you, you simply observe. But when we get into the deep dive into how we do Yonisomanisikara, it's not that at all. Buddha's actually giving us uh, instructions to contemplate. So Yonisomanisikara, it's, it's actually better to either use the Pali word or to say wisely directing the mind or wise contemplation. So where we get to with that is that the question that we come away with is what are we carefully directing the mind towards or away from in order to arrive at Nibbana? That, that's where you get to when you get get through the translation and definition of Yomisomanisikara, the question that really comes to the mind is, what are you carefully directing it towards or away from? Is it everything? Is it nothing? Or is it some things? And so with this session, that's what we're going to be looking at. What is the Buddha saying we need Yomisomanisikara towards? And the answer to that will be where we get to as we go along. We'll really, really see what it is. So, when we come to um, the importance of Yonisomanitikara, what we come to is that in this particular sutta, it's Yonisomanitikara Sampada Sutta. It's also again in the Dutiya Yonisomanitikara Sampada Sutta. And the Buddha says, Mendicant, this is the forerunner and precursor of the rising sun. That is the dawn. So too mendicants, for a mendicant, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the noble eightfold path. That is accomplishment in wise con contemplation. When a mendicant accomplished in wise contemplation, it is to be expected that one will develop and cultivate this noble eightfold path. So we already see the, some of the answer to this question. Question, where should we be directing the mind? It's like if we directed using Yonisomanisikara, it will enable the arising of the Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path being the way out of Dukkha, the way leading out of Dukkha, the fourth noble truth. So that's the first thing that, that Buddha says, that if you're accomplished in Yonisomanisikara, in this wise contemplation, then one is expected to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. So a good way of looking at things is always to look at so what is the unwise contemplation or unwise directing of the mind, and then we'll look at the wise contemplation. So in this funnel diagram, what you see is what the Buddha says is there are two conditions for the arising of wrong view. So parato goso is when you hear another's words, and Ayonisomanisikara is the unwise contemplation. So these two things, when you put it into the funnel, 
you get out the wrong view. So what the Buddha is saying is after having having heard the wrong things in this case, uh, you contemplate unwisely, so you muddle it up, you don't have care with what you, you've listened to, and maybe it's the wrong Dhamma. And so once that happens, wrong view arises, and once it arises and you keep continuing to do the same thing, then it continues to grow. Now, we don't realize it, but we spend a lot of time uh, in the wrong view. And the reason for that is because we listen to the wrong things. We're not always listening to the Buddha's words. So, for example, um, Paroto Goso, in, the, in this sense of wrong view, comes from listening to the TV, listening to the news, listening to people who are talking about very mundane, worldly things that don't point to the truth of things. It's also stories. It's foolish people. Sometimes it's even people teaching Dhamma that don't come back to the Buddha's words, that they, they make up different, different Dhammas. And there might be some relative truth in them, but it always lands you. When you look at this funnel, it lands you in the wrong view because even if you reflect on things, if you reflect on those particular instructions, and you, even if you're quite diligent towards it, you could end up in the wrong view. And this also means that Parotagoso is like you're hanging out with the wrong kind of company and you're hearing the wrong kind of dhammas. So that's Ayonisomanasakara. That's how you get to the wrong view. And so the Buddha says in the Vipalasa Sutta, and it's quite nicely here, is that perceiving impermanence as permanence. So, Nietzsche instead of anicca, suffering as happiness, so sukha rather than dukkha, not me and mine as me and mine, so atta instead of anatta, and then unattractiveness as beauty, so you see suba rather than asuba. So these are the vipalasas. They're like perversions of the mind, corruptions of the mind, if you will. So this is where when we hear the wrong dhammas, these are the four things these four corruptions that keep entering our minds. And then what Buddha says is sentient beings are ruined by wrong view, deranged, out of their mind, yoked by Mara's yoke. These people find no sanctuary from the yoke. Sentient beings continue to transmigrate with ongoing birth and death. So usually the wrong kind of Dhamma and the unwise contemplation it goes, they go hand in hand with these perversions, these corruptions. And when we actually get to do the contemplations ourselves, we'll really see that. But for, for now, just take that on board. And if you understand these Buddha's words, and that's very good, keep them at the forefront of your mind. Because these corruptions, they start off as um, perceptions in the mind, but then they become the way we think, you know, our usual way of thinking. And then after that, they become very strong views. So they start off as sanyas, then chitta, then dittis. So there are actually 12 corruptions of the mind when you go three by these four. So uh, that's that's the other thing to know about that. Now, on the other hand, which is what we're looking at today very much, is cultivating yonisomanisikara. It's wise contemplation, wisely directing the mind. Again, two conditions. The Buddha says there's two conditions for the right view to arise. It's paratogoso, 
and Yonisomonisikara. So hearing another's words and wisely contemplating. The difference between Ayoniso and Yoniso uh, in, in terms of like the wrong view and right view is where we're getting the words from. So in this case, Paroto Goso means the Buddha's words. And if you ask the Arahants and they teach something, all those words they would say also come from the Buddha. They don't claim it for themselves. So what I'm reading out today, it all comes from the Buddha. And so this is the good company. When we listen to the Buddha, when we listen to the Arahants, when we listen to people who are practicing the Buddha's teachings, then this is the Parato Goso that we, where we're coming from, the, the, the right Sadhamma really. So the Sadhamma being the true Dhamma. And together they make the Paratogoso. And when you combine that with wise contemplation, the Yonisomanitikara, then where you get to is this right view, Samaditi. And so Buddha says, when you contemplate wisely, having heard the Buddha's words, then right view arises, and once it's arisen, it grows. And so if you think about it this way, the more we listen to the Buddha's words, the more we follow his instructions to contemplate wisely, and he does give specific instructions throughout the suttas, throughout his teachings, then our right view arises and it grows. And when we stray off um, the the right path, we bring it back with Yonito Manasikara again. We keep bringing it back. That's how you reactivate, reactivate the right view. Yonisoma Sikara isn't something that you use once on this path. You use it all the time. And where Buddha talks about at the beginning when we were saying about wise right striving, it is the wise right striving that helps us to keep doing that. We make the effort. We put the energy in to keep doing that. The other thing that we also find about the Buddha's uh, teaching about Yonisoma Sikara is that it's always about applying the Buddha's medicine. When we get to the deep dive of applying Yonisomanisikara, you see the medicine is like the asuba, the dukkha, the anatta, anicca. It's all the things which are the opposite of the way we normally think. So rather than suba, rather than beauty, we keep looking to see the unattractiveness. You know, so we don't get duped. We don't fall into the trap of the wrong view. Same with like dukkha. If we keep seeking sukha and we, we constantly think that there's no dukkha, we keep patching it up, so to speak, then we get perverse again. Our minds get corrupted. So Yonisomanisikara always has medicine within it. The application of it is always saying, ah, there's medicine that Buddha has asked me to use. And this applies when the hindrances arise, when there are, you know, we experience sorrow and suffering and grief, despair. We need to know what does the Buddha say to apply at that time because we do slide. Even the best practitioners at the moment slide. We slide into greed, hatred and delusion and we have to pull ourselves up again using this Yonisomanasikara. And Buddha does give very clear instructions and so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Because if we do this, if we can know when to apply the medicine using this Yonisomanisikara, then we actually learn to develop the mind and we learn to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. So the second part to that Vipalasa Sutta is really about this, uh, what we just spoke about. Buddha says, 
But when the Buddhas arise in the world, shedding radiance, they shine a light on this teaching that leads to the stilling of suffering. When a wise person hears them, they get their mind back, seeing impermanence as impermanence. So, anicca as anicca. Suffering as suffering. Dukkha as dukkha. Not me and mine as not me and mine. Anatta as anatta. And ugliness as ugliness or unattractiveness as unattractiveness. So, asuba as asuba. Taking up the right view. They've risen above all suffering. So right now, for some of us, this may not make full sense. We may not have the direct insight right now, right at this moment where we've just read out the Buddha's words. But not to worry, because when we get to the contemplations, you'll start to see this. But for those who actually know, then this is just a kind reminder that Yonisomanisikara, when we apply it using our, our, you know, listening to the Buddha, our trust in the Buddha, then this is what happens. Like we actually do see anicca as anicca, impermanence as impermanence, dukkha as dukkha, suffering as suffering, and anatta as anatta. Not me and mine is not me and mine. And asuba as asuba, ugliness as ugliness. And this is where we get back on track for the right view. We've lost it. Or if we don't have it, we're seeking to enable it to arise, unarisen right view to arise. So it's very simple. Out of this first part of what we've spoken about, it's really saying, listen carefully to the Buddha's words, Parutogoso. Listen carefully to the Sadhamma. Sadhamma we can trust can only really come from Buddha. And that's what we need to constantly touch and make contact with, the Sadhamma. And by hanging out, uh, associating with good people, because they're the ones that also associate with the Buddha's words, then we listen carefully and then we follow the directions. So we apply Yonitomanisikara because the, the directions give us the Buddha's medicine and it leads us to the right view. The right view leads the Noble Eightfold Path. That's what you hear in the uh, suttas. Uh, it always leads with right view. If you have right view, you go to the right path. Otherwise, you go to the wrong path. It's very, very important. The other thing that one can say is that there are three kinds of wisdom that the Buddha talks about. Let me just quickly go back to this last slide. There are three things that Buddha talks about in terms of wisdom. He talks about Suttamayapanya, so this is the understanding or the wisdom that comes from hearing or learning uh, the Buddha's words. Then the Chintamayapanya, which is the, the understanding or the wisdom that comes from thinking, from directing the mind, contemplating the Dhamma. And then the fourth one is Bhavanamayapanya, which is developing the mind, developing through the Dhamma. That's the wisdom and the understanding that grows. What you can get from Paratogoso and Yonisomonisikara together is you start to develop Suttamayapanya and you're working towards Chintamayapanya. Because Paratogoso, the listening to the Buddha's words, the words of the wise, and the contemplation that you do from wisdom 
it develops this initial wisdom. So initially with Sutta Mayapanya, this, this wisdom or understanding that comes from hearing and, and listening to the Dhamma, we lean on Buddha's words. We lean on, on his full awakening, the wisdom that came with that. And then as we cultivate this ourselves, we start moving towards Chintamayapanya because we start to develop the mind with the right view. So we start to contemplate wisely. And eventually, as we develop the Noble Eightfold Path, and particularly as we get to Sama Samadhi, that's where you start to develop Bhavanamayapanya, the wisdom and understanding through developing. So what you see right here is when you have the right view, so assuming that one has Paratogoto and Yonisomanisikara, so hearing the Buddha's words, following the instructions, and wisely contemplating, you get to right view. Right view then means you have the noble eightfold path, so you have the right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, this is and right effort. These are uh, our sila is included within that. Then what comes is right mindfulness. We know what to maintain in order to keep on the path. And then what are the, the wise nutriments for that? And then we get to Sama Samadhi, the right concentration. And this is where Bhavanamaya really kicks in because this is where you're starting to truly develop the mind properly. And therefore out of that you get Samanyana, which is the right knowledge, and then Sama Vimukti, which is the right liberation. So this is how... This is really what meditation is all about. If someone asks you, what is Buddha's meditation about? What is Bhavana about? This is really what it is about. But you don't get to the Noble Eightfold Path unless you have Yonisomonisikara and the Buddha's instructions. So what we see in the world, whether people are in Dhamma or not in Dhamma, is this Ayonisomonisikara, which leads to wrong view. So if someone is not hearing the Buddha's words, so they go go about their lives, the the normal conventional life. They don't they have never heard the Buddha's words. They have no idea what Yonisomanisikara is, so they're not wisely contemplating. So then it's quite easy to say that they have the wrong view. They're imbued with ignorance and delusion. So it's a greed, hatred and delusion path, whereas the opposite, the right view is the non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion path. So when you're on the wrong view side, then you develop wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood. You, you don't understand why there is a need to keep some form of sila in order to walk the noble eightfold path. You don't make the right effort. And, and even if you do make efforts, say you are in some kind of spiritual practice, you might be making effort but on the wrong things. And so you get a different kind of mindfulness or no mindfulness if, you, if you're not a practitioner. And then you develop wrong concentration in the wrong areas. And so wrong knowledge, wrong liberation. So that's where you find people who are having spiritual practices, even at the time of the Buddha, they could get to very concentrated mind states. They could be very mindful, but it was not leading to Nibbana. It just still stays in some form of existence, rebirth into some form of existence in samsara. So when you see this, like the difference between yonisomanisikara and ayonisomanisikara and the type of words that you're listening to, then you know you need to always check. You need to always check that you've got the right instructions. You're developing right view, not wrong view. And 
and kicking off, leading with that. So that's why this is very, very important. In fact, it's probably the most important thing to know before you meditate because you could be spending many, many years meditating, but you're not going to the right place and you won't be liberated. And so it could be a waste of time in in some sense. But um, once someone points you to this, it's, it's a real blessing like a very, very real blessing because then you're on the right path, the right practice, you develop the right wisdom and knowledge and then the right vimuktis really, your cheto vimukti, liberation of the mind, panya vimuktis, liberation through wisdom and then uh, nibbana. So the Buddha also says this, Buddha says that what is the one thing that is conducive to decline or falling off and the answer is unwise contemplation. So even if you start off, even in the right path, we veer off so we can decline. But if we have Yonisomanisikara, Buddha says it's the one thing that leads to distinction or progress. This is a wise contemplation, Yonisomanisikara. So one leads to decline or falling off. The other one leads to distinction and progress. It's good to know that. It's very good to know that. And that's why you you think before you meditate, it's good to know, is your mind pointing in the right direction? And have you got the instructions in order to do so? Okay. So in terms of importance, we can go through a few things, at least to get our mind pointing in the right direction, because that's the thing about Yonitomanisikara. We want to know which direction are we pointing it in? Are we pointing it to everything? Clearly, it's not everything. Are we pointing it to nothing? No, it's definitely not that, that. And it is definitely some things. So the first thing we've already spoken about is this noble epopa, that Yonisomanisikara is very important for the arising of the noble epopa. And once it's arisen, it can go to fulfillment. So part of the Four Noble Truths when it comes to um, what the Buddha says about this, the three stages of insight, when it comes to the First Noble Truth of Dukkha, it's always about understanding it. When it comes to Tanha, the origin of suffering, like the craving that keeps us coming back, we want to abandon all of that once we understand what that means. When it comes to the cessation of the uh, suffering, so the Niroda, Buddha says that we want to realize the cessation. And then when it comes to the way out, which is this noble ethical path, the Buddha always says we want to actually develop this path. And so Yonisomanisikara helps us to develop this path to fulfillment, to the end of it. And then the second thing in terms of uh, another part that the Buddha says is that Yonisomanisikara is one of five qualities that enables entry to the right path with regards to skillful quality, so kutsala, even when listening to true dhamma. So the important thing about this is that um, the five things are you don't disparage the dhamma or the talk, you don't disparage uh, the, the person that's giving the talk, you don't disparage yourself as you're listening to the talk, and you allow the mind to get settled and unified, so one-pointed when you're listening to true dhamma, and then the other component is Yonisomanisikara. So whenever you listen to a Dhamma talk from anyone and whenever you're reading the Dhamma or, or hearing like even just, just the suttas read out, these five things are very important. 
don't disparage yourself, don't disparage the, the speaker, don't disparage the, the, the teaching that's been given. Allow the mind to settle into the Dhamma. Don't let it get distracted and, and all over the place. And apply contemplation as you're listening, which is what the encouragement today is. With the Oni Sikara, as you listen to what we're going through of the Buddha's words, allow your mind to contemplate, you know, from time to time. And then when we actually do the contemplations, uh, specifically the deep dive into Yonisamanisikara, give yourself the opportunity for that as well. Now, the opposite is true of, of this, that when it comes to Yonisamanisikara, uh, uh, if we disparage the, the talk, if we disparage the, the person uh, sharing the Dhamma at the time, if we disparage oneself as we're listening, if we don't allow the mind to settle and if we don't wisely uh, contemplate while we're listening, then we can't enter. We can't enter the right path. So that's the important thing. The third thing is from another sutra that says, Yonisomonisikara is one of the causes for doing good deeds. And that makes sense because Yonisomonisikara is always pointing to kusala, to skillful qualities. So, of course, it's going to be pointing as well towards doing good deeds. It's from that reason that we do good deeds. And then the last one on this slide is when you wisely contemplate, skillful qualities arise and unskillful qualities decline. I mean, once you direct yourself to right view, and of course, one will want to have virtues dear to the noble ones, kusala qualities, asakusala, the ten wholesome actions through body, speech and mind, as opposed to the other ones where you're negligent, unheedful, doing whatever you like. Buddha's words, when you have Yonisomanisikara, when you wisely contemplate, you realize actually you can't afford to do that. You have to honor his words because you've seen something in them. That you keep going to Dukkha if you, if you are unwisely uh, giving attention to things, unwisely contemplating. And then, of course, based on um, what we looked at last Poya, we looked at stream entry last Poya, we looked at the Veludvarya Sutta last, last Poya, then we know that Yonisomanisikara is one of the four factors leading to stream entry. So alongside uh, good company, alongside listening to the true Dhamma, and then Yonisomanisikara, and then practicing in accordance with the Dhamma, it is one of the four factors leading to stream entry. So very, very important. Now, when we look at uh, the next one, Buddha says greatly beneficial. Already we can see why it's greatly beneficial because we're putting the mind in the right place. And when it's in the right place, it enables us to see through things, see things as they really are. And that's what we're hoping to see today. And then the third thing on this page is it's why greed, hatred and delusion do not arise and arisen greed, hatred and delusion are abandoned. Well, if we apply Yonisomanisikara, we come to the right view, and that's the leading of the noble eightfold path. That is the path that is non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. So we see why this is the case. Then the fourth thing on this page is when we uh, wisely contemplate, then unarisen taints do not arise. So these taints are the asavas. These are the things that are deeply rooted and connected with ignorance. And they're very, very difficult. This is uh, the last things that we uproot. And we can only do that with the Buddhist instructions. 
There's probably nothing that we need to go through here in detail today, but it's just something to bear in mind. And the last one on this page is when you wisely contemplate, the unarisen hindrances do not arise and the arisen hindrances are abandoned. And what's really true about this is this is where you see in a practical sense that we need to apply Buddhist medicine when hindrances arise because these are the ones that don't enable us to concentrate easily. We can't get to Sama Samadhi very easily when the hindrances are there. So the hindrances are like sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, or sometimes dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And so when those hindrances are there, it's very difficult to concentrate the mind, very difficult to make the mind happy because it's toiling in these wrong, unwholesome states and it's looping, continually looping. And so Yonisomanisikara, in a more practical sense, is knowing what is the medicine for sensual desire, what is the medicine for ill will, what is the medicine for dullness and drowsiness, what is the medicine for restlessness and worry, what is the medicine for doubt? Knowing that, you apply it, you contemplate it. And we're going to do one or two of those today. Now, what the Buddha says as well in the suttas is, mendicants, whatever states there are that are wholesome, partaking of the wholesome, usula, attaining to the wholesome, they are all rooted in wise contemplation. Converge upon wise contemplation, and wise contemplation is declared to be the chief among them. When a mendicant is accomplished in wise contemplation, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate the seven factors of enlightenment. Now, what you find in the suttas is that hindrances are always subdued and enlightened factors, enlightenment factors are activated, the bojangas. And Yoniso Manisikara plays a huge part in that and also a huge part in sharpening our spiritual faculties because we're always, as this uh, Buddha says, uh, we're always in the wholesome, we're always in the kusala, we're always partaking of the kusala, pertaining to the kusala. Everything is rooted and converging uh, through wise contemplation in the kusala. So in that way, that's the only way Bodhjangas can arise. Now, the Bojangas, as we know, are mindfulness, sati, dhamma vichaya, which is the investigation of dhamma. And that is very close to this Yonisomanisikara as well. Like when you investigate the dhamma, it's very much like wise contemplation. And then energy, which is virya, piti, which is rapture or joy, pasadi, which is tranquility, and then concentration, which is samadhi. So you can see these bojangas, as well as the other aids or wings to awakening, they all help us. So the spiritual faculties, the powers, the basis of spiritual power, you know, all these things, including the Noble Eightfold Path, they all converge together to enable us to get to samadhi. And when we get to Samasamadhi, that's where the real work starts to happen, to really see through things. That's where the white light really comes in, the radiance of the Buddha, uh, the the real wisdom light uh, kicks in. So that's why, again, you know, this is why Yonitomanisika is very important, that when we follow the Buddha's instructions, then all these things start to converge. Unarisen enlightenment factors arise, 
and a risen enlightenment factors eventually go to fulfillment or development. So the more you abide, the more you cultivate Yonisomonisikara, then what happens is a lot of these things that help us to liberate, to become wiser human beings, to become liberated eventually, uh, they all start to develop. And that's why even Arahas, they continue to practice because it's actually a very happy mind state. You know, once you know the Buddhist teachings, once you enter the stream, realize the fruits of um, the Buddha's words, then what happens is for the rest of our lives, it doesn't have to be so miserable because we know where the danger is. And we're going to see a glimpse of that when we start to contemplate. And so the second thing on here is it's one of the eight causes for wisdom. So we already know through Suttamaya Panya that this wisdom through hearing the Buddha, through learning the Buddha's teaching, learning the Dhamma, it's already a cause for, for wisdom, this Yonisomanisikara. But more so than that, as we develop it, it ripens and matures. And then the other thing that he said is it enables a noble disciple to clearly see and thoroughly penetrate the noble method with wisdom through wise, wisely contemplating and thoroughly and thoroughly dependent origination. What that really means is that where you get to with Yonisomonatikara eventually is you start to unlock dependent origination. You unlock the links of why we come to be, why we create this body and why we don't want to create this body in any kind of existence. So the noble method is really understanding Paticca Samupada. And that's where you see the yonis will come from, that it's getting to the root of things. It's getting to the reason for, for how this all came to be, how samsara, how we keep coming to samsara. So that's something we'll get a glimpse of because one of the meditations we're going to do is to look at that, one of the links in the Paticca Samupada. And then lastly, it says, it enables true knowledge and liberation to be developed rather than ignorance. So this is a sutta, the Avijja sutta, that we always touch on because it's such a wonderful sutta to see how things come to be, to see how we create ignorance and how we don't do that and create true knowledge and liberation. So if we go to this diagram, and this has been used before, um, if you've uh, seen this before is probably because you've seen it in unlocking the Buddha's code or you've seen it when there's been a Q&A about name entry. And on the left side, what you have is the Akutala. And the Akutala always leads to ignorance, so Avija. And then on the right-hand side, you have Kusala. So Kusala is the wholesome side and this is what leads you to Vija uh, Vimukti, so true knowledge and liberation. So when we look at this, what we really want to look at is how all this comes to be, like what is it that is actually driving all of this. So the important part is to actually see on the left-hand side here, it's like a bit of a process. If we start with Akutala, what we're paying attention to is this unwise contemplation is in the middle here. And you also notice when you look at uh, stream entry, the four factors, you have uh, four factors. We'll look at the right side, sorry. The four factors are you associate with good people, you hear the true Dhamma, 
Of course, that gives you confidence and conviction in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. And then you have Yonisomanisikara and then the rest of all of this, from mindfulness and clear comprehension all the way down to true knowledge and liberation. This is the practice. We're practicing in accordance with the Dhamma. And so Yonisomanisikara enables that. It's in the middle of that. Paratagoto is this associating with good people, hearing the Buddha's words, developing trust, confidence, leaning on the Buddha's wisdom, and then you get to wisely contemplating, then you practice, and then you liberate. On the unwholesome side, it's different. You associate with the wrong company. So the people that don't have the wisdom, they're not walking the Eightfold Path. They're heedless. So you're not hearing the true Dhamma. You're not hearing the Buddha's words. Instead, you're hearing other things, things that dupe you, trick you, betray you in the end. You know, because at the at the end of this life, if you've got just these wrong dhammas, then you keep coming back to samsara. And it doesn't guarantee a human birth. If you remember Buddha's words, like human birth is very hard to, to attain. So there's always a risk and it's quite unsafe. And therefore, because you don't hear any of this, you're not associating with people who are walking the path or associating with the arahants and the Buddha, then there is no sadha. There's no conviction. There's no trust in the Buddha's words. You, you can't even lean on the Buddha's wisdom. And so you keep being heedless. So you don't contemplate wisely. There's nothing. You, you contemplate worldly dhammas instead, politics, uh, natural disasters, um, things that happen at work, relationship issues, all kinds of worldly dhammas, getting rich, uh, things that are happening on the stock market things that are happening in one country and another country, so on and so forth. Uh, they're mundane things. There might be relative truth in them, but they're, they're not ultimately liberating. And you, you'll still be bound to samsara. And so when you practice, so for a worldly person who's caught up in the world, then really you, you, you have all of this lack of mindfulness, you know, the lack of sense restraint. You don't keep any virtue, no seal of body, speech, and mind. And you're always with the hindrances. So you can't concentrate the mind. You ask a worldly person to sit still and just be with themselves. It's very difficult because what troubles them is all the things in the mind that arise. These are the five hindrances. There's a lot of wanting. There may be a lot of aversion. There may be a lot of restlessness. There may be a lot of maybe even dullness, drowsiness, just wanting to veg out. And then there's plenty of doubt because when things happen, doubt comes up and says, why? Why did that happen? Why? And then you can't understand it. So on this side, when, you, when you're when you with the wrong company and you don't hear the Buddha's words, a lot of this happens. And so you're always creating more ignorance. What made us come into the world was ignorance. And what will ensure we persist in the world is ignorance. And so when you see this, you realize how important kusala is, this, this particular process is. Because Buddha, he only gives you the best medicine. Because Buddha has seen that if we, we don't correct our view, then we'll be toiling for eons and eons, as we have done already in samsara. And there's no way out. So Buddha says, it's not by just virtue alone. It's not by eating a particular diet. It's not by standing on one leg or following politics or any of those things, only the Noble Eightfold Path will take us out of samsara. 
So this is what the Avijja Sutta tells us. And that's where you see wise contemplation right here. This is where it sits. So you need to know where it sits in the context of the Buddha's teaching. It's very, very important because this is where your right view gets determined. The other thing to say is that when you may be practicing Dhamma, you may also know people are practicing Dhamma, but they may not actually be practicing the right Dhamma. This also falls on the Akutala side because although they may be mindful, and it may not even be Buddhist mindfulness, but another form of mindfulness, and they might have very good mindfulness, like mindfulness enough to concentrate very well. But the thing is, a lot of things may be missing from that. And therefore, sometimes you see, oh, they're not, they're not keeping any kind of virtue. They don't restrain their senses. Um, the virtue is not very good. And then even when outside of meditation, maybe the hindrances are always troubling them. And so then you can see, okay, this is the pathway that they are still going on. They haven't seen it yet. So that's the distinction. Okay. So that's the first part of uh, the session now what we're going to do is we're going to do um, some application of Yonisomonisikara so before we do that what I'd like to do do is just take a five minute break to let that first part of the session sink in and and if we need a comfort break or anything like that have a drink of water or something like that just take that now and then what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're gradually going to contemplate So take that five minutes now. We'll come back in five minutes and we'll begin again with some meditation. Teruan Saranai.
Perwan Saranai, and we're back again. So we're going to look at the application of Yomisomani Sakara. The only way we can really learn uh, is to actually practice, to actually see for ourselves this Dhamma. And when we look at the application, we're going to try and look at both sides. So we know the difference. We're going to look at Ayonitomani Sikara, so unwise contemplation. And we're going to look at Yonitomani Sikara, the wise uh, contemplation. Now, effectively, Ayonitomani Sikara means that, I'm sorry, what Yonitomani Sikara means is that, firstly, we abandon unwholesome states. So the Akutala. If there's Akutala in the mind or in the way that we're seeing things, we want to administer medicine to abandon it. So we contemplate by directing the mind towards the kutula. Very carefully, very wisely, very thoroughly follow those instructions. Then secondly, the meditation is really about cultivating wholesome. So every time we say to ourselves, let's do some metta bhavana, let's do some basuba bhavana, let's do some karuna, you know, or whatever it is, whatever meditation that we choose to do. This is also Yonisomanisikara because we're directing the mind towards wholesome states. And so when we do that, we're activating the noble eightfold path. As we learned from Karaniya Metta Sutta, that is activating the noble eightfold path because you're cleaning, purifying, and you're directing yourself through uh, the noble eightfold path and also the Dasakutala, the ten wholesome states. And so it's very steeped in right view. So in this section of our session, we'll be doing the contemplations and we'll start with, I wouldn't call them easy, but I'll call them something that is like very small in size. And then what we'll do is we'll expand it out. So the key thing to remember as we start this part of the session is don't worry if you don't get all of it. That's perfectly fine. Just give it a go. And when you're doing the meditation, the contemplation, as we, we go through the Buddha's instructions, just relax into it. Some of it doesn't have to be that intense. You know, it's like you, you, you meditate and you relax. You just trust in the words, the instructions. If we're suvacha, you know, follow the instructions and it's a lot easier. And so we gradually develop it. So each, each meditation will get a little bit more complicated a little bit more deep in terms of what the Buddha is pointing to, but it would be very rich if we can actually see. And so that is our challenge. Each of us has a challenge to actually, uh, you know, step up our game on, on this particular Vesak. So we've seen this funnel before. So this is the right view funnel. So the first thing that we do with Yonitomani Sikara is we listen to the Buddha's words of instruction. The second thing that we do in order to cultivate Yonitomanisikara is actually to hear what the medicine is and apply it. And the third thing is that we're leaning on our sadda towards Buddha. So if we haven't meditated before in this way, but you have taken refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, if you're observing Sil today, then this is all a very good thing. Lean on that. Lean on the sadda, the conviction, the, the trust that we have in Buddha, the confidence. And also, if you've meditated before, then you've seen the results before. And so you're also leaning on that. That's where the sattva comes from as well. When you have the direct insight through following the Buddha's words before, you lean on that as well. 
So the first couple of meditations that we're going to do are around the five hindrances, two in particular. But just generally speaking, what the Buddha says is, one who contemplates unwisely, so ayoniso manisikara, then the hindrances arise. So if they're not there before, they arise. And if they've already arisen, then they increase and expand. So you have sensual desire, ill will, dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. These are all the mental mental hindrances. They really cloud the mind, make us very uneasy, very uncomfortable, or very dull. And then the other side is the Yonisomanisikara side, which, which is if we contemplate wisely, then any unarisen hindrances, they don't come up. They have no fertile ground to rise in the mind because we're right on top of the Noble Eightfold Path, so it's not going to rise. And then if they've arisen, then we will abandon them because the medicine will, will, will fix that. You know, we take the medicine. And also the other thing to say is some of this medicine, it always it might taste a little bitter, but it's once you get through the bitterness of the medicine, that's where the ease comes in. The mind gets happy, the mind gets relieved, and then you get quite quite calm. So the first one that we're looking at is sensual desire. So we're, we're only going to look at sensual desire and ill will as two examples today. Um, uh, we won't go into the other three. You can do that at another time in your own time because uh, we have actually looked at hindrances before. One of the poets, we actually looked at hindrances uh, in the context of learning and studying and, and sitting for exams. We, we looked at that. But in this instance, we just want to get another uh, experience of Yonisomanisikara. So what the Buddha says in this sutta, and it appears both in Chapter 1 of the Nikaya, but also in the Nikaya is a very good sutta, particularly on hindrances and also bojangas, the enlightenment factors. And what it says in the first instance, so this one is about Ayoniso. So it's, I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen sensual desire rises and arisen sensual desire increases and expands so much as the sign of beauty. So this is subanimata. For one who contemplates unwisely, so ayonisomaskara, to the sign of beauty, unarisen sensual desire arises and arisen sensual desire increases and expands. So really this is essentially saying if we take uh, an object and we unwisely contemplate it and all we look at is the beauty side, then that increases our wanting for it. And if it wasn't there before, then it will arise. So it's, for example, if you turn on the TV and you're watching a program and the advertisement comes on and it's an advertisement for chocolate, some kind of brand of chocolate, and at that time before you turned on the TV and saw that advertisement, you had no thinking about chocolate. And say, for example, this, this particular object, whether it's chocolate or something else, it's something that you like. And so when it comes up, it starts to reverberate in the mind because it says, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's nice. That's pleasing. The suba also means pleasing. And if it wasn't there before, it arises. But even if it was there before, when you are uh, contact with the chocolate in front of you, it goes, I want it. I want it now. I want more. Once you start eating it, you want more. So 
This is what the Buddha says, that even it applies to people, that if you see beauty in a person, usually beauty, Subha has the attributes of colour and shape in the Petapapadesa, the Buddha, the, the Venerable Mahakachana enunciates that usually when we see Subha, it's normally around colour and shape. And so that's what attracts us, pulls us in. And so whatever object it is, it becomes an agreeable object. Manapa Aramana, an agreeable object, and it draws us in. So when we apply Ayonitsomaisikara, we keep applying Subha Nimitta to it. It becomes Subhasanya at that point. Okay, so that's, that's one meditation to see. You pick your own example of a agreeable object, and you keep seeing Subha, and you see how the mind keeps looping. You keep seeing how the wanting goes up. Okay, so that's one. The other side of it is when you apply the medicine. So the Buddha says, I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen central desire does not arise. An arisen central desire is abandoned so much as the sign of unattractiveness. So this is the Asubha Nimitta. For one who contemplates wisely, so Yonisomanasikara, the sign of unattractiveness, unarisen central desire does not arise and arisen central desire is abandoned. So you see the opposite effect. So if it hasn't arisen and you, and whenever you make contact with so-called agreeable objects, you make sure you have the asuba nimitta, the sort of unattractive, um, nimitta in it. When you, when you're actually making contact. But if it has already arisen, like say that you saw that chocolate, then what you do is you see the unattractiveness. And so in the case of the chocolate, think about that chocolate sitting outside in the open for t- 10 days. You know, and, and when you do that, then the wanting reduces and then eventually you can abandon it. Same with people's bodies. You know, when you see a person, you, you normally see all the signs of beauty, the color of their hair, the clothes that they're wearing, the shape of their form, male or female. Then when you look at the asubha side, it doesn't always have to be the disgusting side. Usually when you really want, when it's really very troubling to you, you, you apply the really heavy medicine. So you see the decay of the body and things like that. But in a normal sense, you can also apply something like the skeleton. So rather than seeing the disgusting thing, at, you know, when you're at work or, you know, at home and things like that, it's also, Asuba is also applying, you see skeleton instead of what the wrapping is, the wrapping of the skin, the, the colouring of the hair, the type of clothes, the garments, the shape of the body, all that. And then you reduce it down. So that's, that's how you apply the medicine. So with food, it's normally, if it has to sit out for a long time, would you have it? You know, if it's been sitting out, there's flies and all sorts of things. Would you have it like that? Is it really something? All you're trying to do is apply the medicine so it comes to a place that you can hold it rather than be an active hindrance. Then you can abandon. So let's take five or ten minutes to actually contemplate both ways. So take your own example, okay, So take your own example, it could be a person, it could be some kind of food, and contemplate it with the sign of beauty, so the ayonisomanisikara, and look at how the mind gets disturbed and agitated with wanting. And then the second part of the meditation is then to take that same example, your own example, and contemplate it wisely, 
by bringing asuba nimitta into it, like asuba sanya. So the unattractiveness of that same example, that same object that you picked. So that's that's the meditation we'll do now. So again, you pick an example, some kind of food or a person. You contemplate it with the ayonitomanitakara, the wrong con- contemplation, the unwise contemplation of the beauty, the pleasantness. So it's always an agreeable object that you pick. And then after that, you see how the mind is. It gets agitated. The wanting increases. And then the second part of the meditation is to apply yonitomanesikara, that you apply the unattractiveness, the unpleasant, and you see the subsidence of the sensual desire. The wanting comes down of that object. So that's what you want to see. This this is the example that shows you this is ayonisomanesikara and this is yonisomanesikara. So let's do this for five minutes. I'll bring us back. Everyone saw tonight.
Peruan Saranai, we can come out of the meditation or contemplation. A few things to remind. Initially, you contemplate while you're sitting down, like if you've never done this before. But when you become more skilled at this, you can do it in any of the four postures. You can do it sitting down. You can do it standing up. You can definitely do it while you're doing walking meditation. And of course, as long as there's no drowsiness, you can do it while you're lying down. And that's the first thing. The second thing is you may have noticed when you do this contemplation, when you see the Ayonisomanisikara and you see the Yonisomanisikara, it's very active. You're actually training the mind, molding the mind, attending to the mind, really, developing it. So Buddha's meditation is like that. Whenever the hindrances are there, we're not meant to just observe them and they'll go away. They will keep coming back if we don't keep our minds trained. We don't develop them in the right way. So that's an important thing to see. When you did that meditation, just simply on sensual desire, the hindrance of sensual desire, what's evident is that you can't just allow it to be there. If you do, what's the next thing that will happen? Well, if it's the example of the chocolate on the TV, if you're not under restrictions, you want to get in the car, go to the shop and buy a a piece of chocolate if you don't have it in your house. Or if you have it in your house, you'll want to go to the cupboard and, and get it. Same with people. You'll want to go and see that person. You'll want to go and connect. So that's the thing about Yoniso Manisikara. It's a very active process. And through these meditations, you'll start to see you need to actually apply this, this, this teaching from the Buddha. The other thing is to look at the texture, the quality of the mind. What was the mind like when it was imbued with the wanting? because it was surrounded with suba nimitta, suba sanya, the perception of beauty, when that was continually running through the mind. What's the mind like? Is it settled? Is it happy? Is it calm? And then when you do the other side of it, yoniso manasikara, how is the mind when when it applies this medicine? Maybe initially it's difficult because you see impurity, you see unclean, you see decay, you see the over-ripening if it's food. You see all the different aspects that are attributed to asuba. But once you get over the initial bitterness of the medicine that Buddha gives you, how is the mind? Does it calm down? Does it start to be more malleable? And if you can see the distinction between the two, then you can see, you can make progress and you can be heartened by understanding what the Buddha means by Yoniso Manisikara. So the second meditation we're going to do is about ill will. So we're only going to cover these two hindrances because there are other contemplations we want to do that go beyond hindrances. So we'll do the same thing. So with ill will, it's the same thing the Buddha says, I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen ill will and arisen ill will increases and expands so much as the sign of aversion, so patiga nimitta. 
For one who contemplates unwisely to the sign of aversion, so ayonisomanisikara, unarisen ill will arises and arisen ill will increases and expands. So in this case, as opposed to the sensual desire example, you pick a disagreeable object. So usually it's a person because ill will is like mental aversion that it arises particularly towards other people and it happens when you think they've harmed you or hurt you or they've harmed or hurt your loved one. And so it could be at work, it could be at home, it could be at school if you go to school, uh, any kind of example like that. And so when you loop around this sign of aversion, like the stories, the perceptions around this person that they did you wrong and why that happened and so on and so forth, then ill will will either arise if it wasn't there before or it increases and expands. So this is the ayonasomanisikara. That's what you want to see. It keeps circling around, circling around. On the other side, the Buddha says, I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen ill will does not arise and arisen ill will is abandoned so much as the liberation of mind by loving kindness. For one who contemplates wisely, the liberation of mind by loving kindness, unarisen ill will does not arise and arisen ill will is abandoned. So we know with this, metta is always the medicine for ill will, anger, uh, all those, all those sorts of hate. And so metta is the kusala state, the kusala state being the medicine. And in metta, if you recall karanya metta, the wisdom behind the metta thing, not just activating the noble eightfold path, is it sees all of us, all sentient beings, in the same predicament. It removes all that barriers where you think this person is different from me. This person has all these different kinds of attributes and the macharya kicks in, whether it's due to their clan or family, uh, their preferences, you know, our prejudices. All those things are there for ill will to arise when we don't see the commonality and we're all sentient beings bound to samsara, bound to greed, hatred and delusion unless we learn this teaching and therefore we are bound to be reborn again and that is the problem that we don't want to happen so when it comes to this metta what we actually are, are wishing instead of the hindrance of ill will we're actually doing the direct opposite of it it's not just abandoning it we're doing kusala uh, purposeful kusala so we're actually uh, cultivating method towards all sentient beings including that person that was arising in the mind if it was a person so you remove the stinginess the selfishness that arises the five different kinds and you generate well wishes openness you know, non-grasping so in this meditation what we want to do is we want to take another example and in this first case, for ayonisomanisikara, for ill will, we take a disagreeable object. So it could be a person that we're having difficulty with at work or at home or at school or any other place in our community. And you see that if you keep fueling it with this patika nimitta, even the patika sanya, the perception of it, and then all the stories around this, you see how ill will, if it wasn't there, it arises. 
if it's already there because you have an issue with a person, then you see how it gets more, it expands and grows, and you get really wound up about it. So see that, that's the ayonisomonisikara, the unwise contemplation. This is sometimes we, we abide in these places, being really fed up with people and keep allowing the hindrance to be there. The second part of the meditation is the medicine. So the second part is to yonisomonisikara, to contemplate wisely. So what we do is we include this person in cultivating metta. So we don't necessarily have to cultivate metta for this specific person. If you want to, you can. But it's actually to see where we're all the same. So you start by doing the karani metta towards, towards this person, towards all sentient beings, really, and to remove all the boundaries, the prejudices, the stories around you, cultivate metta. In actual fact, when you see... Um, that this person is also experiencing dukkha. We may not have all the information, but they are also subject to old age, sickness, and death. They are also have loved ones who are subject to old age, sickness, and death. This is another way of being able to then lift the mind and cultivate metta because that's where metta comes from, where we are all the same. We're in the same boat. And we're all, you know, wanting to get out of samsara, actually, but we don't even know that, but we all are. So... Take an example, look at the Ayonisomanisikara side with the Patikanimita, the sign of aversion. Then you take the same example and you do the Yonisomanisikara and you cultivate Metta. So this is what we're going to do. Let's do that for another five minutes just to get that experience of uh, being able to see uh, the distinction between them. Deroan Saranai.
Peruan Saranai. So hopefully you've been able to see the difference between Ayonisomanisikara and Yonisomanisikara in the sense of the hindrances. I mean, these are very uh, bespoke applications of Yonisomanisikara. And the encouragement is actually outside of this session to go away and make sure you know what these medicines are. So this Sangyutta Nikaya, Chapter 46, Discourse Number 51, is very helpful just to read about how they arise and then how they don't arise. And it also has a section on the Bojangas as well, which we're not going to cover in terms of contemplating today. Hmm. But it's also very useful to actually see what makes the Bojangas arise. Because when you wisely contemplate on those things, then it's, it's also part of uh, developing the Noble Eightfold Path. So when it comes to the next part of what we're going to do, We're going to look at another application of Yonisomanisikara through this particular sutta, which is the Dutya Nandikaya Sutta. And we're going to look at the five aggregates because that's what it all comes down to in terms of the Buddhist teaching, how we cling to the five aggregates. So we're starting to develop Yonisomanisikara, so this next meditation will go even further. So just bear that in mind. And what the Buddha says in this sutta is, when you wisely contemplate the five aggregates, recognize them as impermanent, so anicca, as they really are, one can realize liberation. Because contemplate wisely to form, recognize the impermanence of form as it really is. When a bhikkhu contemplates wisely to form and recognizes the impermanence of form as it really is, he experiences revulsion towards form. With the destruction of delight comes the destruction uh, of lust. With the destruction of lust uh, comes the destruction of delight. With the destruction of delight and the, and lust, the mind is liberated and is well, is said to be well liberated. And then uh, it says, because attend carefully to feeling, to perception, to volitional formations, to consciousness, and then the same thing goes. So clearly, the first thing to, to probably just make sure everybody knows what the five aggregates are. So the five aggregates are known as Panchaskanda or Panchakanda. The form is Rupa. So the initial paragraph that the Buddha is talking about is rupa. So the four great elements, so earth, air, water, fire. Then feeling, vedana. Uh, this is like feeling or experience. And we usually, that's born of the six sense faculties. We experience through the six sense faculties, this feeling. And then perception, sanya. This is, again, through the external uh, sense objects we perceive. And then sankara, volitional formations, is really how we have volition regarding, you know, through the six sense objects. And then, of course, consciousness, vijnana. Again, we have the six sense consciousness, so eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind consciousness. So essentially, collectively, the five aggregates is how we assume this is our body and our mind. This is who we think we are, and this is who we think others are. As well, you know, it mirrors. If we uh, construct five aggregates over there, then that's uh, a mirror to us also being these five aggregates over here. 
And when we misapprehend this body and mind, these five aggregates, and we cling to them and we identify them, and we think that we're in control of this whole, whole process of these five aggregates, then this is coming from wrong view because this will mean that we want to create another ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body, and all this thing associated with the five aggregates. And we'll keep uh, transmigrating, as the Buddha says, in samsara. Now, the Buddha's teaching in this sutta, and many like it, are actually asking us to see the five aggregates for what they really are. And we can do that through the first thing that the Buddha says in this. So this one is purely about anicca, like anicca sanya, that we see the arising and passing away of this form. That the other characteristics that Buddha normally talks about is dukkha and anatta, and we'll look at that later. But really, anicca is about the unlastingness, the arising and passing away of form in particular, in this case, and also the fact that it's unreliable, unstable. That's what, what we need to investigate. And so when Buddha talked about wise contemplation of this, Buddha's asking us to take our own example of form in the first instance, because that's probably the easiest example to take, and see it's arising and passing away. One of the good meditations for this is the Samadhi Bhavana Sutra. It's all about concentration and about three terms that we've spoken about before. That when we see any of the five aggregates, but if we use the example of form, we see a person or an object, an agreeable object, we usually take delight, so Abhinandati. We usually welcome it, Abhivadati, maybe even say, wow, this is great. Uh, so we verbalize that as part of the welcoming. Then we adrosayatitati, we remain holding on to it. We want to have it again or see it again. Then that means nandi arises, so further delight. Then upadana, which is the clinging. We want to keep fueling it to, and we cling to it. Then bhava, wanted to come to exist. And then, of course, jati, so wanting to come to exist, we birth again. And so this is the usual pathway for coming back to samsara, reconstructing over and over. And so Ayoni Somanisikara, when you take form in that way, that you take delight, what you're taking delight is you're misapprehending out of wrong view. You're thinking these forms are permanent. These forms are stable. These forms are not subject to any change. Like They don't age. They don't get sick and they don't die. That's what you're literally saying. When you enunciate it like that, you think, is that really true? And you think it's going to last. You think it's reliable. And you think there's something substantial and valuable about it. That's because you think that it's permanent, that it has a lasting nature. That's the Ayonis or Manisikara side. But when you meditate and you contemplate if this is true, you know that it's wrong. The reason you know it's wrong is that all of us know someone who has passed away, either a pet, a family member, a colleague, a friend, some popular person in the world, or you know someone who's aged and got sick, they're subject to change. And so Yonis Homanisikara is questioning that. It's like if you use the example of a form, you use the example of a person, you realize with birth comes aging, comes sickness, comes death. So you know, actually, 
It's not lasting in nature. It's impermanent. It's unstable. These bodies are very fragile. It is subject to change. When you watch the aging process, you see, you see the change. Uh, you see what is born passes away. And therefore it's unreliable. And so this is the truth. This is Yonisomanisikara. And then what happens is if you really go deeper with that contemplation, forms start to lose their appeal because you know every time you attach to form, you get disappointed. More so than that, when they pass away, you get deeply upset, sorrow, grief, lamentation. You can't accept it. But this is the process that Buddha is trying to encourage us to see. And therefore, that's where Buddha says, you know, the revulsion comes, the destruction of delight. Because how can you be happy keeping going towards five aggregates when you know it's like this? And the same thing happens with feeling. The same thing happens with perception, volitional formations and consciousness. Everything associated with the five aggregates is death-bound when you investigate. So I can say it but you have to meditate on it. And Samadhi Bhavana Sutta is a very good one for that. And then when you start to, to really see, the more you develop the mind in this way, then the liberation of mind eventually happens. And so when you meditate, what we're wanting to seek is the truth. What is the truth? Is the truth, if we take an example, it can be oneself, it could be another person, because I think form is the easiest way to look at this rather than going through all five aggregates. Take an example of form. If you don't want to take a person, take a pet. If you don't want to take a pet, then maybe pick another type of object. It could be a food object or something like that. But you will see the same thing because the first part of the meditation, just like what we did with the hindrances, is you look at the Ayoniso side, the side that we still actually see. We think this person, this object... It's permanent, it's stable, it lasts. It's valuable because it lasts. It doesn't change. So that's the first part of the meditation, how one would normally worldly, in a worldly way, think. How we say, oh, we'll get over it. We'll beat this thing. Oh, you know, death is not coming. She'll be right. You know, all the things that we say that, compel us, even in the programs that we watch, the reading material, the news, it's always shock when it comes to the reality of things because we actually abide in the wrong view. Something in us is always denying impermanence. It always says, my family member will last for a long time. I will live for a long time. But then we get these little breaks in that where our pet dies early, our family member gets really, really sick and then, you know, has to pass away. Or someone at work doesn't come to work anymore. Like that. There's always something that disturbs the wrong view, but then we patch it up and it's okay again. We all do this because we're not enlightened yet. And so when you look at that, you see... You see the floor, you, and, and the reason why you do the Ionis on a society is so that you see the floor, the, de, the, the denial, the rejection of the truth. And then you take the same example, 
and you do the yonisomaisikara and you look at it and you go, actually, what is the truth? And then you contemplate anicca. So actually we are subject to old age, sickness and death. There is this change. We're not lasting. These bodies, these gross bodies are unreliable. They're quite fragile. And where you come to is actually you see the death trap. That everything that we keep going towards is death bound. If you see that in your meditation, that is a real breakthrough because ignorance is what suppresses the truth. Ignorance is the door bar that blocks us from stream entry, blocks us from seeing the truth. And when we keep around people that don't tell us the truth, it keeps us there. And so we keep being ignorant of this truth. So five aggregates are conditioned and it's death bound. It's a trap. So what I'd like to do is to do this meditation. Take an example of form. We'll leave feelings and perceptions and volitional formations and consciousness for now. You can do this, that meditation another time using this one or using Samadhi Bhavana Sutta. But, uh, and that's Samyutta Nikaya 22, discourse number five. That's the Samadhi Bhavana Sutta. Do that another time. For this session, take an example of form. It can be a person. It can be yourself. It could be another kind of object. And do the Ioniso side where the voice keeps telling you it's permanent, it's lasting, it's reliable, it's not subject to change, it's valuable, it's substantial for those reasons. And once you've seen that, do the Yoniso Manisikara side, which is the truth. It's unlasting, it's unreliable, it's unstable. It's not valuable for that reason because it keeps crumbling. So let's do this meditation for another five to ten minutes. I'll bring us out. So just meditate for as long as you can on this and then I'll bring us out. Peruan Saranai.
Teruan Saranai can come out of the contemplation. So there are two other suttas that I've included uh, that I wanted to mention uh, from the Buddha's words. And we're not going to meditate on them, but we're just going to briefly look at them because it actually will kind of it is an extension of what we just did with the five aggregates, but more specific because it looks at the sense bases and then the second one is sense objects because this is how we get deceived and how we contemplate unwisely. And the first one is this sutta called the Ajatta Anicca Andikaya Sutta. So it's along the same lines as what we were going through the previous slide, which was the Nandikaya Sutta. And the Buddha says in reference to the sense basis, so he starts with the ear or the eye, sorry. He says, mendicants wisely direct the mind to the eye, truly see the impermanence of the eye. When a mendicant does this, they grow disillusioned with the eye. When relishing ends, greed ends. When greed ends, relishing ends. When relishing and greed end, the mind is said to be well free. And then he says the same thing for ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And to see the impermanence. So it's a similar thing. But what's important is that we need to understand that all these organs, these sense organs, these sense bases, they also age, they also get sick, and eventually they also die. We don't have any control over our sense bases. And so when there's ayonisomanisikara, what we call Mara's bait, the trickery, we actually don't understand when we have ayonisomanisikara, we don't understand that everything is subject to arising and passing away. And when we do really see this, then just like the meditation we just did, right view arises and we don't want to create another birth because we see this truth. So in the case of the eye, when you actually see that the eye is impermanent, it's unreliable, it doesn't last, it's subject to aging, subject to death, so it arises and passes away. Then you realize that this predicament we're in is always about arising and passing away. We are conditioned. We come into this conditioned world and we are conditioned. And so all that is left for us when you see it, when you see it in your meditation, is that it will just be more of the same, particularly if we cling to these things that we assume are going to bring us sukha, are going to bring us permanency, are going to have long-lasting effects. And the re- reality, when we actually just simply contemplate anicca or the sense spaces, is that it's not true. And so we grow very disillusioned over time in a wholesome way, not in a miserable, depressed way, but in a wholesome way. We get tired of of going towards and being attached to things that are dead-bound, including our own. And so it normalizes, it balances out how we deal with the world. We get into trouble when we don't expect the dukkha and we personalize, we identify as me and mine based on the fact that we think it's nicca, that there's permanency. So Indriya Sangvara, the sense restraint becomes really, you know, effective the security guard becomes really imperative when we start seeing this true. 
because you start to see the lie in this construction. Like you truly see it. It's not just these words that I'm saying right now. When you meditate and you get a breakthrough, you actually see the truth is not the permanency. The truth is in the impermanency, the unstable nature of all of our existence. And so you take more care in dealing with people. True kindness, true compassion, true sympathetic joy, true upeka, the equanimity, comes when you get this insight. That's why when you enter the stream, you no longer are compelled by sakaya, sakaya being these five aggregates subject to clinging. You don't have any views around these five aggregates that make you want to come back to samsara because you actually really see it's it's uh, anicca, dukkha, and therefore anatta. You, you really see it. And another meditation we're going to do later will actually open that up a bit more. But so this is the one about sense bases. We're not going to meditate on it, but it gives you the idea about sense bases. The second one is sense objects. So it's the other side of the coin. So the things that we see, the objects that we see, uh, smell, hear, taste, touch, think. So on this particular side of it, Buddha is also saying mendicants properly attend to sights, truly see the impermanence of sights. When a mendicant does this, they grow disillusioned with sights. When relishing ends, greed ends. When greed ends, relishing ends. When relishing and greed end, the mind is said to be well free. So again, you know, contemplate sound, smells, taste, touch, thought, the six sense objects. And really, again, it's the same thing as what we were saying about the sense bases and overall the five aggregates. There's a trickery to it. If you investigate using examples of things that we see, things that we hear, smell, taste, touch, and then our thoughts, they actually disintegrate quite quickly. They don't last. Even this life, this human life, even 100 years of life, if we live to that, that's still very fleeting. No matter whether we live one year or 100 years, it's quite fleeting, particularly this human birth. And so you really do get to see the quality in human birth. That's one of the benefits of a human birth is you see how fleeting it is. In the Deva realms, they live for eons. So it's not so easy to see that quality. But in the human realm, it's really quite fleeting in comparison. And so you really see the arising and passing away. Not one day goes past where you don't hear of someone passing away, where you don't hear of someone who has gotten sick or the aging process, you always receive news about that. It's, it's not a day goes past that you don't hear that. And so when you do this meditation of looking at sense objects, again, it's, it's seeing through the falsity, the deception, not getting duped by external things to, to see that there's actually permanency where there isn't. And so when you start to see this, particularly with sense objects, you won't want to crave for these objects any longer. Sights, smells, tastes, touches, all that. You'll deal with them as when needed. Like food, for example. Of course we need to eat for nourishment. Of course we need to attend to things in terms of looking and hearing in order to do our jobs, in order to take care of our families. Those things don't go away. But the addition on top of that to glorify it, to indulge in it, to intoxicate it from the wrong view diminishes when you do these meditations. 
because you don't want to get caught up in the lie. Because if you do, you suffer greatly even in this very existence. So even an arahant would still apply Yonisomanisikara, which we'll see in another sutta, because it's a pleasant abiding. It doesn't fall like in the case of where you're not an arahant, you don't fall for the trap. You keep developing the mind so you get more insulated from these traps that Mara lays. But from an arahant's perspective, it's very pleasant to say mindful and and with clear comprehension, with clear seeing, uh, that that's for the rest of the life until Parinibbana, that an arahant still uh, can do that, even though the work has all been done. So this is uh, the two additional things to add on, like in your own time to meditate on, because it really helps to solidify um, the right view. So then we come to another meditation, and this is around uh, what is known as the Gautama Sutta, and it's also the same in the Nagara Sutta. This one would be a good one to actually do a little meditation on to see because Buddha's words are very encouraging and also very helpful. So I'll read this out. And this was what he said he contemplated on prior to his awakening, and it touches on the Patitasamapada and an origination. So the Buddha says, Mendicants, before my awakening, when I was still unawakened but intent on awakening, I thought, alas, this world has fallen into trouble. It's born, grows old, dies, passes away, and is reborn. Yet it doesn't understand how to escape from this suffering, from old age and death. Oh, when will an escape be found from this suffering, from old age and death? Then it occurred to me, When what exists is their old age and death, what is the condition for old age and death? And then the answer that the Buddha gives is, then through wisely directing the mind, I comprehended with wisdom. When there is birth, old age and death come to be. Birth is a condition for old age and death. And then he goes on, then it occurred to me, when what exists is their birth, Of course, then that's conditioned by existence. And then it goes on, grasping, craving, feeling, contact, sense fields, name and form consciousness, and then volitional formations. Then what begins all of it is ignorance is the condition for volitional formation. So Buddha is going through uh, the Patichasamupada, the dependent origination. What the Buddha is actually contemplating is that particularly he's focusing in the first instance, and this is where we're going to focus on, is this link between birth and ageing and death. Because with dependent origination, even to enter the stream, we only really need to understand one link. And then we can develop further as we develop the path, the rest of them. And what is said is that understanding in the lower part of Padichasamapada, the dependent origination, is always easier than trying to understand it at this level. So it's not impossible. I mean, it's not impossible to understand at this level. But when you're beginning the path, it's always better to understand it here because the first noble truth is always trying to explain with birth comes aging and death. And from that, we can understand the rest of it gradually. Because trying to understand it at the at the volitional formation level, at the consciousness level, one can be subverted from the truth, one can get it wrong and can fall into wrong views. 
or it can be extremely complicated to understand in the first instance. And of course, ignorance is very hard to break at the level of ignorance because this is how we created this particular birth. So what we're going to focus on and what we're going to meditate on, contemplate today, is really about birth and aging and death. So what the Buddha is really saying when he contemplates with wisdom is the question of when what exists is there old age and death, what is the condition for old age and death? And so his answer is that birth is the condition for old age and death. Because we are born, we age and eventually die. Now, ayonisomanisikara, because that's how we understand, how we're learning about ayonisomanisikara and yonisomanisikara. So ayonisomanisikara, in conventional terms, we usually give all kinds of reasons for old age and death. Okay, so I'm going to give you the example, and then we're going to talk about Yonisom and Sakara, which is Buddha's uh, direct teaching. So conventionally, what do we say when we ask the question, why, do, why has this person died, or why are we going to die? The answer normally always comes with the, the story behind it, not the truth. It's like, this person died because they were sick for a long time, they got cancer. This person got this person died because they were in a car accident. This person died because of a, of a crime done to them. This person died because of old age. This person died because they didn't eat well and they didn't look after themselves. This person died because they didn't exercise and they became obese. This person died because their diet was one particular way. They were vegetarian. They didn't eat meat and blah, 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 blah. You know, all kinds of story. This person died because they got caught in a flood. So conventionally, the way we answer why did this person die or why are we going to die, it's going to be one of these reasons, and there are many, many more. But when Buddha answers this question, why do we die, Buddha says we die because we are born. Simple as that. We die because we are born. The minute we are born, we are death-bound. It's a death trap. If there is no birth, Okay, this is the key with Yonis Homanasikara. When you see this first thing, if we are born, we die. The second part of it is, if we are not born, then we are no longer subject to ATM death. We will not die. Sounds simple, but of course there's the rest of it behind it. And so you really see that first clear link of birth, aging, and death. And as you know, how do, how are we born? It's because we want to come to exist. How does this existence come? Because we cling. Why do we cling? It's because we crave. Why do we crave? It's because we expect sukkah or some form of sukkah, vedana, some experience that is delightful and pleasing. Why does that arise? Because we make contact with objects and things that Give us that impression. Why does that happen? Six sense bases. Ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body, mind. Misapprehend. We misapprehend mind and body, name and form. The meditation we did about the five aggregates, we misapprehend. We think they're permanent. We think that because they're permanent, we won't experience dukkha, that they're not subject to change. They're worth taking as me in mind, that they're valuable. They don't crumble. Therefore, consciousness, volitional formations, ignorance. So really, when we start to understand, if we don't want to birth, there will be no death. 
It's not for all these other reasons. Yes, those other reasons are valid to the extent that they are part of some of the causes, but it's not the truth of the entire thing that as sentient beings, we are actually all conditioned. That is what getting to the root of it is. That's where we get to the root of the truth. So Ayana Samanisikara is believing that we are born for all these different reasons and we die for all these different reasons. Yone Samanisikara is seeing that it's because we are born that we die. And so if we do, if we actually have the ability through developing the Noble Eightfold Path to nabinandati, not take delight, nabiwadati, not welcome it, not remain holding to all these things that are death-bound, whether it's ourselves or other objects, then we have a chance not to take delight, not to cling, not to want to come to any kind of existence, and then not to birth, and therefore there'll be no death. So let's do a short meditation, just five minutes. Just five minutes to set, to look at just this link between birth and aging and death. You don't need to do the rest of the Padita Samapada. Just this question, why do we die? And, uh, just contemplate all the things that we take in through the news, what people tell us about death. Think of that as Ayonisomanisikara. And then on the Yonisomanisikara side, think about the reason that we are that we die is because we are born, what the Buddha says. And take an example, maybe take an example of someone that has passed away. Take an example of um, a pet. But just take any simple example, not a complicated meditation, but just investigate. Why must we contemplate Ayonasomanasikarasis? conventional way of looking at death. Death has happened because of illness, because of natural disaster, because of crime, because of some sort of thing. But Buddha's answer is we die because we are born. What arises passes away. So that is the meditation. Let's take five minutes to just take that into our minds and see whether we can see the Ayuniso and Yuniso Manasikara sides. Theruan Saranai.
Terwan Saranai. So one quick thing before we continue is if you are observing SIL and you need to go uh, to take the meal, uh, please do so. That's perfectly fine. And if you wish to come back, that's also perfectly fine. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is really around these contemplations, that when you contemplate with Yonisomanisikara, make sure you notice the effortlessness towards calming the mind, that you notice that all the constituent parts of the Noble Eightfold Path start to activate. And it's very easy to get to Sama Samadhi. In fact, it's almost like you fast track there once you start to see the truth. So initially, when you start doing Yonisama Sikara, there may be some obstruction. And for, the, for those that are uh, more, more attained, then maybe that, that's not the case. It's actually rather quick. But in the case of the initial part, once you break through that, then you find that there's it's almost like effortless, even though you're applying energy like virya and to contemplate in the correct way to direct the mind towards this kutala dhamma, this skillful truths. And it's it's good to also see that the mind actually gladdens willingly. So usually when we say we're talking about death and dying you know, concepts of aging, sickness, and death, they're very weighty topics, and conventionally nobody really wants to talk about them. But in the Buddhist teaching, when we talk about them, they're actually quite liberating, and they, they actually lift the mind. And so in the meditation, what you're wanting to focus on once you've contemplated wisely is actually to Notice how the mind relaxes easily, how the mind in some ways feels relief. And it's leaning towards Nibbana at this point. And so when you try it, you don't have to force one-pointedness of the mind. You don't have to force all the parts that go with the jhanas, actually. And it doesn't matter what those component parts are, but the fact that the mind concentrates easily, becomes unified, that is what you get to when you apply your nisomanisikara. And so make sure when you do these meditations, even though they're short, that that's where you get to. And outside of this session, continue to develop these things because it's very, very helpful. Now, we haven't finished, so don't, I hope I haven't given you that impression that we've finished. There's more to, to actually go through. And given this is Vesak, it's quite auspicious to be able to do so together. So you may have heard of the Sila Sutta. It's actually called the Silavanta Sutta. And it's in Sanghita Nikaya, chapter 22, discourse number 122. There's also another sutta straight after it called Suttavanta Sutta. And it has exactly the same teaching. This is probably the sutta that is most quoted in terms of Yonisomanisikara because it's a dialogue between Venerable Sariputta 
and Venerable Mahakotita. They're both arahants, and they don't really need to talk to each other in this way because they've all, they're both fully awakened, but they do so as a teaching aid to the Sangha so uh, they could learn. And so the question that Venerable Mahakotita asks Venerable Sariputta is, what things should a virtuous mendicant wisely contemplate? So the sutta after this one is actually, what should a learned mendicant wisely contemplate? Be mindful that although these suttas talk about mendicants and bhikkhus and things of that nature, these are things that lay people can also contemplate. They're applicable to us as well because they all lead towards nibbana and we are developing in that direction. So if the thought comes, oh, this is for monks or nuns, it's actually for everyone. So the answer that Venerable Sariputta gives, Venerable Kotita, Mahakotita, is that a virtuous mendicant should wisely contemplate the five aggregates subject to clinging as impermanent, painful or suffering, sickness, a tumour, a dart, misery, affliction, alien, disintegrating, empty, not me or mine. And what are the five aggregates subject to clinging? form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. And in this sutta, Venerable Sariputta says, it's possible that a virtuous mendicant who regards the five grasping aggregates in this way will realize the fruit of stream entry. So that's the first thing. And then Venerable Mahaputta asks, but what about a stream entry? What should they wisely contemplate? And then the, uh, Venerable Sariputta says, well, they should contemplate exactly the same thing. And then they'll realize the fruit of one's return. And then the question that gets asked is, what does uh, Sakadagami, a once return, contemplate? And then Venerable Sariputta says exactly the same thing. And then they'll realize it's possible for them to realize the fruit of non-return. And then Venerable Mahakotita asks again, what should an Anagami, a non-returner, contemplate? And Venerable Sariputta says they should contemplate exactly the same thing. You're using Yonisomanisakara, the five aggregates subject to clinging, uh, and the 11 characteristics. And then it's possible for them to attain the fruit of Arahantship. And then Venerable Mahakotita asks again, what about an Arahant? What should a Arahant wisely contemplate? And then the answer to this is, is what I've been alluding to during the session is that it says, although there is nothing left to do, no further improvement needed for an arahant. When these things are developed and frequently cultivated, uh, which is the same answer, the five aggregates subject to clinging, contemplating them through the 11 characteristics or aspects, then it leads to a pleasant dwelling in the present life. So in Pali, that Dhamma Sukha Vihara. And then it also leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension, Satisampajanya. So it's the same as what you see in the Avija Sutta, you saw one of the links was that from Yoniswamansikara, it leads directly to Sati Sampajanya. So what's very interesting about this is that for a worldling, for one who uh, wants to contemplate, who has virtue, who has some kind of knowledge of the Buddha's teaching, one should attend to contemplating the five aggregates of clinging in these 11 ways. And it doesn't matter whether you have entered the stream or not, but if you have, 
wants return, non-return, arahant, you contemplate exactly the same thing. So this is really a very powerful sutta uh, that 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 is given to us. And Buddha does talk about the same kind of thing in a number of other suttas. So in the Majjhimanikaya chapter, uh, discourse number 64, Mahamal Dunkia put the sutta, uh, in, in order to abandon the law of fetters, Buddha teaches this exact same thing. In the Diganaka Sutta, Buddha encourages an, an extreme ascetic to contemplate the body in this way, these 11 aspects. And then you find all these suttas around jhanas, where the Buddha talks about that if you contemplate through the jhanas, whether they're the form jhanas or the formless jhanas, that you add this contemplation in there, this yonisomanisikara, then uh, it ends all defilements and you destroy the taint. So it's a very powerful meditation and it's a very powerful meditation to even enter the stream. And the other thing that the Buddha says is that if you cultivate metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, and then you do this contemplation as well after cultivating metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, then it's actually also very beneficial and there's a number of suttas in that. There's one in the Nikaya that talks about that. So well, how do we do this meditation? So I'm not going to go through in depth how to do this meditation because that has been done before and also it can be done separately in another occasion. But I want to run through that this meditation is very important. So there are at least 55 things that can be contemplated in this meditation because if you take the five aggregates, so form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness, those things that we cling to, and you contemplate them in 11 ways, each of them, that's 55 contemplations. So it's not easy, but it's an important thing to do, to develop at least, but it's not easy to do. There are also additional meditations that can be done associated with this teaching, and they're a lot simpler, and maybe that's what we'll do uh, as a meditation today. But the clear thing that Buddha, and in this case, Venerable Sariputta, Venerable Mahagotita, giving us is that it lifts the doorbar. It lifts the block um, of where we misapprehend things. And what blocks us is, of course, ignorance. And just think of it. It's like we are in this concrete bunker. The ignorance that we come into this world with, that we breed, is like this concrete bunker. And so we deny, 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 reject, reject, reject truth. And Buddha gives us the means for embracing truth and lifting the doorbar, coming out of the concrete bunker gradually. And if we can do that, then stream entry is possible. And so we start to have a massive reduction in dukkha because there's only a finite number of lifetimes left after you remove this door bar, this concrete bunker that we're in. So to enable you to do this meditation uh, outside of this session, I'll just briefly run through the 11 aspects. So I think that's quite helpful as a reminder for some and also for those that have never done this meditation before. So these 11 characteristics, they actually all come back to Anicca Dukkha Natta, and you can get this confirmed in the Patisamhita Magga, which is attributed to Venerable Sariputta, so the path of discrimination. So you have 
Anicca, you have Dukkha, and you have Anatta at the end. So the first two are Anicca, Dukkha, and at the end, Anatta is number 11. But then you have Rogato, Gandato, Salato, Agato, Avadato. These are all related to Dukkha. They're just other contemplations that help you to see Dukkha. Arato, Sunyato, link with Anatta, not me and mine. And it will become clearer when I give a bit of description behind it. And Palokato is about disintegrating. So it's linked to Anitato. So to understand, you see, everything comes from the three characteristics of Anitta, Dukkha, Anatta. So Anitta being impermanence, unlasting nature, what arises, passes away. Dukkha. And Dukkha is very interesting because it's not suffering just as a feeling. And or unsatisfactoriness is another way of saying. But when we look at dukkha in this way, we start to see that dukkha is not just the experience or feeling of dukkha, it's the process of dukkha. It's jatapi dukkha, it's jarampi dukkha, it's maranampi dukkha. The fact that, you know, dukkha comes from living, dukkha comes from aging, dukkha also comes from sickness, dukkha comes from uh, death. Dukkha comes from the experience after that of sadness, sorrow, pain, despair, separation from what is liked, union with what is not liked, and not getting what we want. What we want is to exist permanently in happiness with our loved ones, all under our control, with lots of beautiful things. But the reality is that in samsara, because of aging, sickness, and death, we don't get what we want. We're continuously separated from what we find dear and pleasing and we're united with what is displeasing. This is the truth that we always try and deny and patch it up, but we always meet this truth. And the wise person follows Buddha's teachings and starts to see that. And so when you start to see it, it doesn't mean you reject your life circumstances. No, you honor your life circumstances, but you cultivate the path so that you don't come back for more in the future and you help others so that they don't, you know, go the wrong path and come back again and, and experience more dukkha. You help others to see the noble eightfold path. So these 11 uh, characteristics or aspects that the Buddha asked us to look at, the first one is anicato, what we've been looking at today applies to the five aggregates. We know that. We've started to look at that. Because we are born, we are subject to old age, sickness, and death, therefore unlasting in nature, unstable. Because we arise, we pass away. It's unreliable. Dukkato, suffering, unsatisfactoriness. It's not simply the feeling, not simply the pain, the suffering, the uh, grief, lamentation, sadness, sorrow. Not simply that. It's also the fact that there's jātipi dukkha. We're born, we have to go through work education, uh, relationships, then we have aging, sickness, death. At some point, as we get older, we start to see all our loved ones experience this aging, sickness, and death. It's not pleasing. And as we get older and older, it's the same. Whether they're younger than us or older than us, it's, it's miserable, actually. And then when it comes to rogato, number three, sickness, you look at this bodily and mentally. Of course, you can go through the, each of the five aggregates, but bodily, you see this body already when we're born, we're subject to hunger and thirst. We also, as a result of that, have to go um, urine and excrement. 
We have to maintain this body. We have all kinds of sickness. Mentally, it's the same thing. We get quite afflicted you know, in our mind. Sickness comes to our mind when we misapprehend. Then Gandhato is like tumor, cancer. These are the things that we don't like to see at a bodily level, things that keep spreading, illness that keeps spreading. It can be literally cancer, but it can be also, also other things. So at the bodily level, at the mental level, it's defilements. Defilements like derogation and disparaging, they like the spreading of tumour. Greed, hatred and delusion has this effect of festering and spreading. And so in our minds, they become like a cancer. And if we don't give the medicine, such as what we meditated on earlier, then it's very difficult. Salato is like a dart. There are many darts that wedge in our minds because we are sustained by nutriment. You know, it relates back to nutriment. Coupling karahara, the physical nutriment. Contact is nutriment, which is you know, contact itself. Mental volition as, as, as nutriment and consciousness as nutriment. And so there are, in this case, four darts that wedge in our minds. So lust, hate, views, delusion. But it's the delusion that continually fuels consciousness through these stories and habitual tendencies in our mind, our mental delusion. And so there are more darts, but these are the four darts that are always troubling us at the solitol, the dart level. And then we come to agato, misery. Uh, again, we're afflicted at a physical and mental level, but we don't often see it. We deny it. You know, phys- we have to withstand physical conditions of heat, even hunger, thirst, all these things things to do with our relationships, our circumstances, our physical challenges. Mentally, there's stress, there's disturbances, there's mental torment. And so it derives from suffering. It, we get more miserable when we're really honest about it. And only when we give the medicine of the Buddha that we can subdue some of it until we realize true liberation. But it's usually in extreme situations where our loved one, we actually notice how old they've gotten or any person we know that we care about, how sick that they have gotten. And when people die, that's when we start to notice. And then we see the misery of this existence. The seventh is avadato, affliction. Again, when we have physical and mental disabilities or injuries that we have to bear with. So this could be physical limitations, physical injuries, It could also be mental ones, that we have mental illness and we're afflicted. But we don't often register these things, but they are afflictions that trouble us. And so it's dukkha at that level. And then eight is parato. It translates as alien, but it's very difficult to understand when you simply use alien. Para normally gives this idea of others. And we can understand this is really around our dependency or reliance on others. Even consciousness relies on other things. So if you hold out your hand and consciousness is your thumb, in order for consciousness to trick us, it has to go to the forefinger, which is form, steadies on form and it gets all these ideas about it. Then you go to the middle finger, Consciousness is abiding in feelings or vedana. It goes to the fourth ring finger. It abides in perception. And then 
the fifth, the last little finger, the, the thumb touches the little finger. It steadies on volitional formations, the fabrications, the stories. That's how consciousness uh, lives. But even at a conventional level, we think we're independent, but we rely on people. We rely on insects and other beings. You think about the food process, the food chain. Well, we go to the shops and we rely on retailers, but you go backwards from that. The shops rely on distributors. The distributors rely on truck drivers. The truck drivers they need to go get from the farmers. The farmers need to go get from the, 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 the ground. But what makes everything grow? It's the little creatures. So you can go all the way back that, we are fully dependent on others. So Artha normally thinks we're in control of everything. Anatha shows that there is this reliance. And it's quite a very strong thing when you see Parato. Then number nine is Palopato, disintegrating. And this is something that you see very clearly, particularly when we did the meditations on form, when we did the meditations on the sense, or we didn't do the meditation, but we talked about sense objects and sense bases. This is literally seeing the breaking up, the decaying. You see it more so when you see a dead body, but everything is always crumbling. When you live in a humid climate, a humid and hot climate, you really see it in sense objects. You can't leave like the house, the objects were too long. They start to disintegrate because of the nature of this climate. You have to look after things much more than in a colder climate. So in Palokuto, there's this sutta called Palokadamma Sutta, and it's in the Sangyutta Nikaya. And Buddha really talks about the disintegrating of everything that he talks about the disintegrating of the six sense faculties, the disintegrating of the sense objects, the disintegrating of the sense consciousness, all six of them disintegrate, the disintegration of the sense contact. And so it's a very good meditation in order to see Palokito is the Palokadama Sutta, Sangyutta Nikaya, Chapter 35, Discourse Number 84. You see the decaying, the wearing out. Uh, even as we age, you feel that. You see the wearing out of the eyes, the sight is not so good, the wearing out of the tongue, the taste faculty is not so good, the hearing is not so good. So you see the wearing out. Then sunyato, which is empty. This is really, this is a meditation in and of itself, really, that when you see, you can't just simply see emptiness uh, in the five aggregates. It's not so easy. You have to see it in a sequential way. So the sequence is, if you see a nitya, what we saw in the first instance, that when you birth, so the arising, the birth, you're subject to aging, sickness, and death. So this is the passing away aspect. Therefore, you ask the question, is it impermanent? We said yes. In our meditation, we said yes. Then is it suffering? Is it painful, this process? The answer is yes. And can you see the, the, that it's subject to change, the vipranama, the aging process, the sickness process? The answer is yes. So the question you ask as a meditation is, is it worth taking as me and mine? And you can look at this in yourself. 
And you can look at this in others. You can look at it in objects. And when you meditate on this, not simply by theorizing right now, but when you see this in your meditation, what you see when your answer is the truth is you see the emptiness. You see the voidness. You see that you're not in control of this whole process. And you see there's no substance there. It's hollow. So that's what sunyato means. Then anatato is really that. It's not worth taking as me and mine because what we see in the five aggregates is empty of anything belonging to self and it is actually empty of any self. It is only due to conditions. And that's what you need to see in the meditation. And so this process that we call life what it leads to is always separation from what we find pleasing, what is dear to us. It's always united with what is displeasing. Like this whole meditation is actually about the five frequent contemplations. And so when you get to another pole, this 11th aspect, you're asking, is it worth taking as me and mine? Why am I regarding it as mine? Why am I regarding it as me? So in a nutshell, when you say ayoniso manisikara, ayoniso, when you look at these 11 characteristics, just take it as a whole, like not individual uh, five aggregates, but body and mind, just take it collectively. When we're in denial, when we have the worldly truth, when we don't know the Buddha Dhamma, ayoniso manisikara is saying this body and mind is permanent, this Body and mind can experience sukha, maybe even long-lasting sukha. It might be think that. This body and mind doesn't get sick, not diseased. There is no tumor, number four. There's no cancer. There are no darts that are wedging in the mind. We don't experience misery. This is Ayona Somanisikara. We are not afflicted at a body and mind level. We are in control, parato. We are not relying on anybody else. We're independent. There is a self that is independent, not relying on anybody else. Consciousness isn't reliant on all these other things like form, feeling, perception, and volitional formations to exist. But as we know in the Paticca Samupata, dependent origination, that's not true. Palokato, disintegrating. We're not disintegrating. We don't decay. And then we think there is something worthwhile there. It's not void. It's not empty. It's substantial. It's not hollow. It's valuable. That's what we're saying from Ayonis Omanisikara. All our objects, including ourselves, have value, have substance, and then anatato or atato on the Yoniso Manisikara side, it's worth taking as me and mine for all these other reasons. Now, when you take it like that, it's shocking because we don't often think so, so directly like that. But underneath the concrete bunker, that is how we are thinking. We patch up all the breaks in the cycle where someone dies, where someone gets sick where someone gets old, we patch it up by forgetting all of that and going back to the past and when it's all good and blocking out everything that's bad. 
like when the TV comes on with something that's bad that hits us, we turn it off or change the channel. We like doing that. And so we keep patching it up, linking up to all the good times to compel ourselves to Ayone Somanisikara and carry on. So when you do this meditation, Yoni Somanisikara, you see it's not true. All the characteristics that we spoke about and Parato, you see the dependent origination. Consciousness actually exists. It is conditioned by volitional formation. Because it is conditioned by volitional formation, sankharas, it is conditioned by ignorance, avijja. So this whole construction comes out of avijja. So that in a nutshell, it's very direct. One needs to meditate on it collectively in total, the five aggregates, when you have time, one by one. But let's do this meditation now that I mentioned. Let's do this for at least five five minutes to get a taste. So the meditation steps, if it is impermanent, so you see birth, aging, sickness, death, so you know we don't last. Therefore, it's suffering. Is it suffering? Yes, this process is suffering. And can you see the change? Yes, you see the aging process heading towards death. So it is subject to change. You see this in many teachings of the Buddha. Buddha asks, is it impermanent? Is it suffering? Is it subject to change? The answer to all of these is yes. So if it is yes, is it worth taking as mine, as me and mine? And so that's the meditation. And so the answer comes in the meditation. When you see that, you can go straight to emptiness. So I'll repeat the questions again or the statement. If it is impermanent or unlasting and it is suffering or painful and it is subject to change, we see this in birth, aging, sickness and death, is it worth taking as me and mine? So that's the meditation. If it is impermanent, if it is suffering, if it is subject to change, is it worth taking as me and mine? So that's what we'll do a meditation on. We'll do that for uh, five minutes and just give it a chance. Give it a, a chance to meditate on. And anyone who knows how to do this meditation also spread some karuna during this time. And there's only one more part to go before we end the session. So this is uh, the second final meditation. And we'll do this for five minutes. Everyone Saranai.
Teruan Saranai, we can come out of the contemplation. So this is a, a very, very powerful one, very, very good one to actually develop and cultivate for many, many reasons that we've uh, been through, particularly what Venerable Sariputta's answer has come to. And the short meditation is actually a very useful way to direct the mind very quickly, very, very quickly, because we get lost in our worldly conditions. But we use it wisely uh, in order to bring the mind back to right view, to not get absorbed fully into the world and to be able to hold it carefully, hold our loved ones carefully, hold the world carefully, hold our jobs carefully, hold our studies carefully, because otherwise we get lost into it, intoxicated in, and then we create more suffering for ourselves and for others. So these meditations are very, very good. So the other one that is also very useful is the Pena Pindupama Sutta. I'm not going to go too much into this. Uh, some of you may have heard of this one before. It's about how we can also look at the five aggregates. Buddha gives these different similes. And they're very useful because when you look at them, Buddha gives these similes in order for you to see the hollowness, the voidness, the emptiness of these objects, these aggregates, sorry, that we cling to, and to see the that there's no essence, no substance to them. So these are the words that we normally talk about anatta, um, that anatta has this aspect of it's void, it's hollow, it's empty, it's worthless. So ritta, tucha, and then asara, which is no essence, no substance, in, in, in a way, no value. So with foam, Buddha talks about that the Similarly, we should use is the lump of foam. So what you see at the beach or when you take a bubble bath, that kind of foam. Feeling Buddha gives uh, the water bubble as the simile. Perception is the mirage. And volitional formations is the trunk of a banana tree because it's hollow. And then consciousness is this magic trick. So these are very good ways in your own time to start to contemplate to actually ask the question, what does the Buddha mean when he says form is like this lump of foam? What does Buddha mean by feeling being the water bubble? And then perception, mirage, volitional formations, the trunk of a banana tree, consciousness being the magic trick. And on the right-hand side, you see the words, you know, ritta, tucha, asara. And you start to also see that end part of the Silavanta Sutta, the hollowness, the emptiness, that it's empty of self, empty of uh, anything belonging to self. And so you reinforce the truth by doing uh, this contemplation. So in your own time, this is another thing that one can look at. Now, the last um, part to our session is really something that I've included. We've included because we want to see what we're aspiring to. And the Patisambhidamaka, so what Venerable Sariputta has given us in the path of discrimination, is that the three characteristics, they went to 11 characteristics in the Silavanta Sutta. And then when you go to the Patisambhidamaka, which is the path of discrimination, 
it goes to 40. So what you're seeing on this slide, although it's very small, is the 40 aspects. And you find it in the Vipassana Kata um, part towards the end of the Patisambhita Mokka. And again, and don't worry about the color on, on these ones. I haven't colored them according to Anichatupanatha in this case. But on this slide, it's again how you start to really see that Anichatupanatha can be seen in these different ways. It helps us where we get caught, trapped in the wrong way of thinking, how to bring us back out. So the meditation that is given in the Patisambhita is actually to look at these 40 characteristics. But in essence, what it's saying in that chapter is in the conditioned world, which is samsara, we can call everything in samsara is conditioned. It arises and it passes away. So we want to see things as they really are. When you contemplate the five aggregates of clinging through these 40 aspects, all the 11, all the three, then you actually see things as they really are, like what we've started to do in this session. In contrast, the Patisambhita Maka then says, if you contemplate the cessation of the five aggregates, so the passing away of the five aggregates, not to be reborn again, then you start to contemplate the unconditioned, the unconstructed, the unborn or not arising. And this is the contemplation of Nibbana. So when you contemplate these 40 as they are, you're contemplating this is what the conditioned world is like. I don't want to be duped by this conditioned world. I see, in essence, through these 40 terms, Anita Dukkanatha. The opposite of these terms is when you contemplate the cessation of the five aggregates, then you see Nibbana. So in very, very simple terms, in order for us to get a glimpse of what Venerable Sariputta means in giving these terms, we just bring it back to Anicca Dukkanatta, Anicca being impermanent, unlasting, subject to arising and passing away, unreliable, condition. Dukkha. Dukkha means suffering. The whole process of jāpidukkha, jarampidukkha, maranampidukkha, then all the different types of dukkha that we go through, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair, separation from what is liked, union with what is disliked, never getting what we want. Anatta, not me and mine, no essence, no substance, no value, not worth taking as me and mine. These three things, these three characteristics, they show us in samsara when everything is conditioned, everything that we contact is a lie. It is wrapped up with nice things, but inside it is anicca, it is anicca dukkha There's a lie. And so that's one part. The second part, where you contemplate the five aggregates, this body and mind. When we don't create this body and mind and we see the truth of the Buddha's teaching, then we experience Nietzsche. Nietzsche as Nibbana. Nietzsche because in Nibbana there is no arising and passing away of aggregates. There is no um, unlastingness. 
and Sukha instead of Dukkha? What does Buddha say about Nibbana? Paramasukha, the highest blessing, the highest happiness. And then Atta, Atta is the ultimate liberation that Nibbana doesn't have any sense of self. It has no substance, no real value. Or Nibbana has substance, it has value. Excuse me, what I said the last time. It is what is in samsara that has no substance, no real value. Asara. Nibbana is sara. It is substantial, it's valuable. And it is the truth. And so the way you can meditate is actually to see that the arising of the five aggregates of clinging and then you contemplate these 40 aspects which, you know, come back to the three and you see it's all a lie. It's falsity. It deceives us. Everything is like a death trap. And then you look at Nibbana. It has the opposite. It has Nietzsche, Sukha and Atta in the sense of Real substance, real value, no hollowness in, in, in Nibbana. So I think it's worthwhile to do a very short meditation again. And then after that, we, we can, um, ask your know, questions if necessary and then end the session. And then there'll be another session at one. So let's just contemplate this for five minutes. Let, let me just repeat this. If we contemplate the conditioned, we want to see the lie. So just simply do anicca, dukkha, natta. You know, in the condition we want to see, it's impermanent. There is suffering. And it's not worth taking as me and mine. And then the other side of it, with the cessation of the five aggregates of clinging, there is nibbana. So there is Nietzsche in Nibbana, there is Paramasukha in Nibbana, and there is benefit, substance, value in Nibbana, Atta, in that context. So let's do that for five minutes. Peruvan Saranai.
திருவன் சரணாய் so we can finish uh, the session for the most part here um just a few reminders few gentle reminders about this session um the first thing is that if we develop wisdom or insight as part of this process that we start seeing through the five aggregates we start seeing through the construction and the reconstruction that we we all doing it's important to know that we still honor our present existence you know no matter what life circumstances we have whether we have a job we have family we have responsibilities we have friends we have things in the community we still honor those we don't just uh repel them and reject and all those sorts of things that may sometimes come as a bit of a wind up in the mind make sure that whatever wisdom that comes in your practice that this human life is very precious yes but it's good to continue to reflect but also make sure you attend to all the responsibilities and duties and still honor the people that are helping with this existence and making this life it's just that when you start to see the dhamma clearly you still honor your personal circumstances but the distinction is that you don't create more dukkha for oneself because you see the truth but you also don't create more dukkha for others and so you find ways and means to allow them to coexist so when you start seeing the dhamma don't make any fast and quick and terrible decisions you work with it and you uh, gently allow your family members and your friends to be when they ask you share and even then you have no expectations please be sure not to hurt others with buddha dhamma don't weaponize the buddha's teaching just because we have a little bit of insight because there's a lot long way to go and the true teaching for others from ourselves is how we manifest that if we manifest through this wise understanding that we have this sutame panya chintame panya and then bhavanaame panya that we're developing this path the true teaching that we give others is what we cultivate and generate and then they see from our example if they see good goodness and good things in how we practice how we live our lives it will gradually rub off on them and eventually they'll ask the right question if and when they are ready and they may not be ready and so it's also good to understand that so the main thing to to bring away from it is be the good example be the foot soldier of the of the buddhist teaching in the wholesome way and also the other thing is if you get to concentrate the mind by any of these reflections or any of the other ones that buddha teaches go there frequently go to sama samadhi frequently don't keep putting it off don't only do it from time to time do it as frequently as possible as how your life permits because it's only from that state that you can actually cultivate more metta more karuna more buddhita more upeka and it is a blessing on the world if you have that capacity to do it to make sure you do your duty because many times 
there are people that have the ability to do so and they don't do it. And so the world doesn't get balanced enough. If you think about where we are right now with restrictions and uncertainty and all the madness and greed, hatred, delusion in the world, what we need right now is people who can genuinely practice and to do that frequently. So if you can activate the Noble Eightfold Path, you can have Sama Samadhi, do so as frequently as possible. And then you'll be a blessing in the world. So I'll leave the session here. Uh, I'd like to actually give people time before the next session. So unless there are any burning questions, they can be asked at the next session or even tomorrow for those who are coming for tomorrow's session. So if there are any questions, please ask now. And I'll wait a few moments. Teruan Saranai. Any further questions? What we might do is actually leave it there. And what we can do is um, share the merit because the next session will be in half an hour. So I'm just conscious of wanting everybody to get a little break. So appreciate everyone's participation and earnestness in practice, energy towards the practice on this Vesak day. So let's share the merit with all sentient beings. Bring to mind all sentient beings. May all beings come to the right view. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. So wish you all well. Wish you well for the rest of the Poya Day. And we can end our session now. Deruan Saranai.